DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. PK, we got a long stream of people weighing in on Rex Chapman's comments that the Jazz were as dirty as the bad boys. They just don't get labeled that way. Uh, Snowman tweets at us, a bad take. The Jazz had nobody on the level of Lambeer, Mahorn, and Rodman. Sally gets a pass. <laughs> Oh, I agree with that, but that doesn't mean they didn't have dirty players. I'm not saying they did, but I agree with that. They didn't have it to that level. At least not. I wasn't watching compared to where they am now. You know, if they were in the postseason, yes, but I wasn't watching all 82. And But yet we were watching the Pistons because they were making long playoff runs every year. And I had extended family that lived in Detroit, so I had a a little bit more than a casual interest with that ball club, and I don't think that they would compare, at least not from my perspective. Brett says, in my eyes, the biggest difference between the Pistons and the Jazz is how they portrayed it. Both have various examples of dirty plays. It was how they embraced it. The Jazz swept it aside, called it hard-nosed, and played on. Detroit embraced the bad boy image, even promoted it at times. Gotta sell it. Than the Pistons did. In my eyes, yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, that is part yeah. of it. Okay, I, I d- I'm fine with that. Yeah, I do think that the the Pistons did embrace it and promote it. Uh, they also won at a higher level. That, that I mean, yeah, they were so good for so long. I mean, going to the conference finals five times in seven years, like the Jazz did, is really hard to do. There's not a long list of teams that have done that. But the Pistons went five years in a row, went to three finals, not two, and won two titles. Uh, they were they played so many network TV games deep in the playoffs with all eyes on them, and then yes. committed these fouls, instigated these brawls, <laughs> and then embraced it and were not apologetic afterwards. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the whole package that leaves this major mark on the game. And I said it earlier, Riley's Knicks started a lot of brawls, committed a lot of hard fouls, but I think they are a distant second to the bad boys. The bad boys have the nickname, they earned it, they embraced it. So, Rick Chapman, he could probably go to specific plays and probably ones we don't even remember. I mean, there's so many things that happen in a game. But I, I just have a hard time believing anybody in NBA history rises to the level of the bad boys. Paris tweets at us and says, Who cares what Rex Chapman thinks? Rex is only in the media because he rides the coattails of other people's videos. And does it very well, I might add. If you're not following Rex on Twitter, hilarious videos. So many good videos. But that is why he's in the media now. And there are people now. Chapman's the only guy who believed it, though. Uh, Chapman's probably not the only person who believed it. You know, I mean, Carl Malone is going to be responsible for a large percentage of the most violent plays in jazz history. Stockton had the dirty. Uh, rep, maybe Hornacek to a lesser degree because of the way they screen people and all that. But it was Malone who knocked David Robinson unconscious. And it was Malone who gave uh, Isaiah Thomas all the stitches and gave Joe Klein some stitches in another incident. And maybe I'm forgetting others, but those are the three I can remember off the top of my head. So I, I think to some degree the Jazz have to wear it. To some degree there are a lot of players and teams of that era who have to wear it. Um, 
And Rex would definitely be agreed with. And, and Carl wasn't popular. There was stuff away from that, you know, that, that was said and done. And, you know, <laughs> Carl, Carl wasn't a popular player. And, and Carl, actually, he had a little of the Bill Lambert kind of shrug your shoulders like, yeah, they hate me, so what? Probably internally it hurt him a little more than it hurt Lambeer. Although it sounds from the quote we read today like it hurt Lambeer, even though he's shrugging it off. Who cares what they think? I don't know when you react that violently, you probably, you probably, it probably bugs you a little bit. He went on long enough. It probably bugs him a little bit. Thank you, Bucky. Honestly, who cares? Aaron tweets at us. I don't waste Think a lot of time. Honestly, who cares? I don't waste a lot of time worrying about what ex-mediocre players think about great teams they were not a part of. That's my thoughts on Rex Chapman's comments. Who cares? Well, I guess it's 25 years old. That's what we could say about the whole last dance, right? The last dance to the Celtics, to the Pistons. It's in the rearview mirror. It's a generation ago. Who cares? And it is benefiting from the time and that it's going when we don't have any games, we've got nothing else to watch. It would probably be a big deal if it had aired the way it was supposed to after the season was over. But it's a bigger deal now because we got this huge void with no NBA and no Major League Baseball and no PGA Tour and no March Madness and no MLS Soccer and no Wimbledon and on down the line. Just all the stuff that isn't happening. The Olympics are delayed, so there's just this massive vacuum. And whatever it is you like, it isn't happening. Unless you're following baseball in Taiwan, I guess. I'd throw that one out there. <laughs> Yuck. Yuck. Yuck, you having a good day in there? Had better. <laughs> BK's on remote, or for whatever reason, the connection is so iffy today. It is dropping in and out. And PK knows he's got great takes back there, and he's letting it rip, and no one can hear him. There's eight seconds of silence followed by... PK should be with us. You're there, PK. <laughs> uh, then he can't... He, yeah, I'm here. You guys there? Yeah, I know. You're, but your great takes are just going <laughs> going out into the air. Maybe the dog can hear him. Maybe if her wife's upstairs, she's hearing him. But beyond that, we're not really getting the gist of the point. <laughs> you got to see Yach, though. Yach's getting, a, Yach's getting a little tense and worked up there in the next room. He can't get thrill on the line. He can't keep your signal strong. Bill Lambeer can hear. Yeah, Bill can sense it in the universe. Bill can just get the vibe. And yeah, I don't know what the deal is. I know, I know. Of course, he, he, the thing about it is he doesn't care. Well, okay, but when you say you don't care and you go into that length about how much you don't care, you probably care a little bit. When you shrug and walk away, you really don't care. That's the epitome of not caring. Like, eh, whatever. <laughs> but if you got 50 words or 100 words or 150 words, you've spent a little time thinking about it. So on some level, you care a little bit. I think what he doesn't care is he doesn't care enough to go out and try to change the narrative. He's not going out. I mean, if you call him up, you're going to get a take from him. But Bill Lambert isn't going to go out and do, you know, 50 interviews trying to reverse the perception of the bad boys. Those Pistons teams will go down as the bad boys forever. And they'll also go down as two-time champs. That's pretty cool. And look at how many... You, you look every decade, there's a couple players who pretty much dominate the decade. 
Uh, Jordan was six, a little more so than most. But, you know, Jordan and Akeem were the only stars who is the best player on the team, got titles for eight years. And you look at the Bird and Magic era, and they combined to win eight out of nine titles. And then you look at the um, Shaq and Duncan era, which is a little different because Shaq changed teams because, you know, he won the three with the Lakers, and then he, he went to Miami and he won the one. And so you look at that, and those two guys combined to win, what was it, eight out of nine titles. You know, so you have these eras where a couple stars dominate. And so when you go with Jordan and Magic and Bird, they won 13 out of 16 championships. They just completely, I mean, they were just so good. They were so on top of the game. I guess I just did the math wrong. It was 13 out of 18 championships. Those Magic, Jordan, and Bird, 13 out of 18. Hakeem got his two, the bad boys got their two, and Dr. J and the Sixers got one. It was hard to break through. So the fact the Pistons did it, yeah, they rode this to it. But, hey, the goal is to get the championship. The rules were what they were. And the NBA let it go. And that's just the way it is. And we all complain about it and say we don't like it. And we don't like Isaiah. Or we don't like Lambert and Mahorn. Or whoever it is you don't like. But they got the trophies. They got the parades. They got the cheers. They got the paydays. And there it is. And now everything that happened that era looks horribly wrong. When you look back on it and look at the way the game is played now, you're like, what were they getting away with back then? But I just can't elevate anybody to the level of the Pistons. And the Jazz had their moments, certainly, and Carl had his moments. And, uh, you know, regrettable, and you can label them whatever you want, but, man, Rex, to the level of the Pistons. I'd like to interview him. Can we get Rex Chapman on, Yuck? I mean, not today, because we can't get anybody on today. Whatever, all the technical stuff is good. Tell Hans and Scotty, no guests today, <laughs> no nothing, <laughs> whatever. Uh, I, I've made some inquiries. We're going to see if we can track him down at some point. All right. Yeah, make the magic happen. He's now, a, I think he does the analyst job for Kentucky basketball games. So That makes sense. I, I can remember I'd, I'd heard about him, mm-hmm. and I'd seen him a little bit on TV, and it happened that UC Santa Barbara uh, – finally, made it to the NCAA tournament first time ever, and got sent to a Kentucky regional. Little did I know I would end up seeing Kentucky in the NCAA tournament so many times, but Chapman was a star on that team, and watching him move on the court, so smooth. So smooth. And now, you know, his life, there's been all kinds of drama and depression, and he's had a lot of issues, and it's been a battle, and now he's got this whole Twitter rep, and I don't know that people know that, uh, you know, 30 years and 30 pounds ago, and uh, a full head of hair, Rex Chapman was this elite college basketball player. He played for a while in the pros. It didn't, not at the same level. He was a much bigger star in college than in the pros, but... Nonetheless, good career. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's time to bring in Big T, Thurl Bailey, AT&T Sportsnet Utah Jazz Analyst. Thurl, good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? <laughs> doing? I don't know if I'm just excited or stir crazy. <laughs> probably a little bit. Probably a little bit of both. Have you got, yeah. now, now, you've sent the kids away to college sports. you got a daughter who went out and played college volleyball, and the son went and played college basketball. Have you got everybody at home? Do they stay out? How, how's that working out? No, everybody's at home. Uh, even my, my volleyball daughter, who has her own place here, for a while she just moved in with us. It was, uh, it was a whole family every night, which, you know, which was really nice for me. You know, I just I enjoyed that part of it. Um, for about two weeks, 
<laughs> and and then after you go through every board game and card game, it's like, okay, this is um, we need a little break in the routine here. But it's been really good. I mean, on the, on that side of things. But uh, like everybody else, you know, you try your best to kind of do your part in this whole thing. Uh, my question for you is, can a player be unintentionally dirty? Unintentionally dirty? No. Yes. No, I don't. Uh, you mean literally? <laughs> you mean as far as cheating? He commits a foul that is a dirty foul, but he didn't oh, intend oh. to do it. It just happened. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And if you're smart about it, all of them are that way. <laughs> well, then you're dirty. <laughs> well, but nobody knows that but you. <laughs> it's all unintentional. That's how you spell it. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I, I think if there's a pattern, you, there's a little less chance of getting away with it. So Rex, Chat- you know somebody like that. Well, Rex Chapman has a tweet out, and of course we're all watching the Last Dance because there's no games on. So we're watching yep. Last Dance and all the Jordan stuff, and of course, obviously they just did the whole thing on the Bad Boys, and then Rex, Rex Chapman, who was a star at Kentucky, is kind of a role guy in the NBA, not a big star in the NBA, but he's a star at Kentucky, and now he's dominating Twitter. He's got all the, just all these videos. They're crazy, they're funny, they're goofy, whatever. And he puts them out there, and so he's got a ton of followers. So he collects all these followers with videos, and then he comes back with a basketball take, which he doesn't usually do, and says that the Jazz uh, were as dirty as the Pistons. They just weren't labeled that way. And so that's kind of what started this whole discussion. So as someone who played in the rough-and-tumble late 80s and early 90s when the game was refereed very differently than it is now, how much did the Pistons, in the famous (laughs) words of PK, (laughs) you off with the way they uh, hammered people all the time? Oh, they they pissed you off even before you started playing because you knew what to expect, right? Because... um, and I'm, I wasn't ever one to complain because that's the way things were. I mean, you were allowed to be physical, and you, you, you went into the game knowing that. Now, don't get me wrong. They were dirty. They, they lived up to the reputation. They had to, right? And so they took it as far as the officials or the league would let them take it. I mean, obviously you couldn't get away with that. Now some of those plays would, would get you kicked out of the game. Um, but uh, the Jazz were no near, nowhere near on, on a consistent basis as dirty as that. The Jazz were physical teams, right? They wouldn't take any crap. But the blatant, you know, coming down on your head, pulling you out of the, the, the air, I mean, th- those things didn't happen. And Jerry always talked to us about, listen, we're not going out to hurt anybody, but we're going to let them know we're there. So I think there's a difference there. The Pistons were intentional, for sure. Um, but I think the Jazz were just physical. I mean, there's a line that 
I don't think really was ever crossed. And if it was, it wasn't really intentional. It was to send a message. Um, but the Pistons, that was their message. So the uh, I I said earlier in the show, and I, I find this to be true, that uh, the Pistons were the dirtiest team I ever saw play, and I don't think it was close. And we've had some listeners point out that, well, they they embraced it, and then at times they even promoted it. And, you know, from an intimidation standpoint, when you're trying to win a game and get to the finals and get back, you know, win another title, you know, the, the intimidation factor is important, so it can't be underestimated. So I get all of that. But I think it's a wide margin to the next dirtiest team I saw, which I think, I don't know that anyone started more brawls than Pat Riley's Knicks. My gosh, they always seem to be in the middle of it with some team. Um, yeah, I agree. Am, am I, yeah, am I remembering that right? Yes, you are. Yeah, you are. Um, but I think, you know, when you look at the Pistons, heck, they won championships, right, yeah. with it. Yep. And and so if it ain't broke, why why fix it? That's Those are the kind of guys they wanted. Um, and I think there were other teams that tried to, to develop some of that physicality, not to the point that it was it was dirty, but it worked for them. And you can't dispute the fact that um, you know they they did well so have you seen anything in the Jordan documentary I'm assuming you've watched it because you're tired of the board games and the card games have you seen anything in the last dance documentary that really surprised you or is it just a few quotes here and a few glimpses behind the scenes there I've seen a couple things and I'll tell you what they are but I want to hear yours first before I well I, I think it's awesome and the reason that I would watch it regardless of what's on is the perspective, right? Michael Jordan's perspective. And so, um, and, and, you know, and, and Phil Jackson's, but mostly Michael Jordan's perspective on things that you wonder if they were true or how they came about or if it was just rumor. I mean, he's putting that to rest right there. It was his team. It's coming from his mouth. Um, and, and so that's what I enjoy, the honesty of it, uh, and also a, a look inside the actual journey. It, it's been amazing, amazing to watch. So as I look at this uh, documentary and watch all the different things that are said and, and done and all that, two things have jumped out of me. I was surprised that when they read the uh, Bulls Traveling Cocaine Circus headline to Jordan, that he decided to share his story. Um, a poker-faced response that ended up hitting the cutting room floor because it just wasn't any good would have been my first expectation. A second one, him laughing but then just shaking his head and not commenting, that would have made the show. But instead he told a pretty specific story but I think, given against the backdrop of that era, nothing that was really all that surprising either. No, I mean, that's that's another one of those things where, you know, if you're on the outside, you're saying, um, that, I'm sure that probably goes on. It probably happens. you got players with all this money, and it's an era. Uh, you know, it's in that era. So he just confirmed it, right? I mean, especially with that. He didn't name any names, but you, know, you can go back and look at the roster and 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 you know and and make your own assumptions, but uh, and I, I think that's what I liked about it. He, he was honest about it, but it wasn't like he, you know, name name names. 
So I think, and, uh, it, was part, and okay. it was part of his maturity, and that, that's that was the reason for the story. And here he was, this rookie coming into this scene, right? And yeah. he had a choice, right? He could have joined them, or he could have done did what he did. And so it's about you know, guys at that level, um, you know, making choices. And I don't think I ever remember Michael Jordan being mentioned or caught up in some kind of a, you know, rumor about drugs or anything like that. So I think it was important for this to be told the way he, he told it because of how he was trying to develop as being the great Michael Jordan. Were you surprised that the Bulls are still so openly angry with the Pistons? I mean, the, the profanity-laced responses from Jordan and Horace Grant. A, on one hand, I find them hilarious. I don't know why. Possibly it's my personal immaturity. Um, but also the fact that, that that just kind of breaks the code. You know, as a media guy, and you know as an athlete, and then an athlete who later on is asking questions sometimes in itself, you know, there's some things you're just not supposed to say. And those are two things you're not supposed to say. And those guys, they knew where the camera was, they knew where the mic was, and they blurted it out with gusto and swore on top of that just to make sure you knew they were disgusted. Yeah. I mean, uh, you look at that whole series, right, and that whole that, that, that competitive era, um, that really kept Michael and his team from from getting that championship. He knew that that was that was really uh, the hill, the battle they needed to fight to get to where they wanted. They had to go through those guys, um, and obviously the the walking off without shaking the hand. That's that's a code right there that uh, is is unforgivable in ways. Um, you know whether. You know, whether you, you're trying to set something up for the future or whatever, but yeah, you could see that they were visiting, especially Michael. Uh, <laughs> I love the part where they were showing him the Isaiah um, interview about the situation, and Mike was like, "No, nah, I don't want it. Nothing that he could say. There's nothing that he could say that would excuse what happened there." And I think he's right. So, so to me, and I get why they did it, because this happened, uh, you know, the kind of 89, 90, 91, as they meet in the playoffs every year. It happened before the Dream Team. But, right. Yes. But they got to, I'll be really disappointed if they don't address this a little bit, which I think is going to take them back to the All-Star Game freeze-out, allegedly. Uh, and so to kind of get where this all came from. And did it come from something else? Was it something other than the All-Star Game freeze-out? As someone who played in that era and players talked, where do you think it came from? Well, I read something where John Sally said that it all started with Isaiah. I guess he had a nephew or something or that was wearing a Michael Jordan jersey and he got, all, he got on him and his nephew said, well, you know, that's my guy. I love Michael Jordan. That's my team. And and Isaiah was really pissed. And from that time on, it was kind of a disrespect. I don't know whether that's true or not, um, whether it stemmed for something, from something earlier. Who knows? Maybe they will address it. Maybe they won't. Um, but I think the bottom line is there's there's something that was there and will always be there 
to a certain extent. Um, I think Isaiah's interview, you know, he tried to skim over it a little bit, never really addressed it. Um, and I'm not sure. I, I thought I read or, or saw an interview or something where he kind of said that he regretted it and would have done it differently. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it started from something earlier, but I, I, I'm not sure I see. Because even in the losses early on, I mean, Jordan, you, you see Jordan hugging Isaiah. Nice job, guys. You guys beat us. We'll see you again. Um, but that particular game was different. So I don't know if there's something. I think it, I, I have to guess it was that particular moment that just fueled it and and uh, and really started some rage. I'm curious about your perspective. I want to change gears here a little bit. I'm curious about your perspective on uh, college athletes transferring uh, because you played, but you played in a very different era. Your kids have played in an era where transferring is more common. And I think there's an overwhelming perception out there that too many kids are transferring. They ought to stay where they are and grind their way through it and and try to reach for the goal. And, and that's out there. But for the handful of kids who do transfer in college, which may not be all that different from bouncing around on AAU teams or high school teams, because that happens too, for the handful who are going to go to the pros, does that prepare them for the way coaches change teams in the pros and not so much in Utah? We know the story here. But a lot of franchises go through a lot of coaches and players are going to bounce around in their career. You had a pretty good run. You know, we talk about Pace, Pace, Pace Mannion, who we both know pretty well, had to play for five teams in seven years. Is there something to be said for that, or am I reaching? Well, uh, let's, let's address the transferring thing. Um, I mean, what is it all about, really? Is it about control? Um, it, is it about coaches being able to to control what players do is about the NCAA um, not giving a little more freedom to the players I mean there's so many arguments out there about you know why can't I have control over my own career coaches do if they decide to leave and go to another school like my first year coach did at Norm Sloan I, I played for my freshman season and after that he left I was devastated, right? Because uh, that's one of the reasons I went. Um, the other perspective is this day and age is different, right? It's different now. What are, what are most of these kids' dreams to play professional basketball? Not necessarily the NBA. We know the top echelon kids are going to have a, a shot at that. But why can't a kid who's coming out of high school decide that you know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a different way. This is my ultimate goal, but this different journey that would take me there. Um, if I am unhappy at a school, I got all these promises, and and yeah, I'm fighting for my job, but you know, I'm I'm only I'm not happy here. I'm not happy in the city. I'm not happy for whatever reason. Why can't I make that move instead of being in, and not be penalized for it? So. There's some arguments on both sides. I mean, I'm not devaluing the value of, a, of an education because I got a great one at NC State in four years, but that's a different era. I mean, uh, uh, the, the, the American dream or the ultimate dream is different now 
mean, and sometimes college isn't part of that path. You can you can go back and get your degree, but yeah, there there's some things. I mean, the NCAA is a mess anyway, and I know they're supposed to be you know, the committee is supposed to be voting on that one time transfer thing, hopefully in May. But um, I think something has to happen. Is that the answer? I don't know, but I think there's some good arguments um, for it. Well, Big T, we've got uh, plenty more questions to delve into in this, but I think the way we're going, we're going to have plenty of time to delve into this, too. So uh, we'll do that <laughs> another time, kind of run its course here. But, hey, thanks for joining us for a few minutes, and uh, good luck with whatever card games or board games lie in your immediate future. Well, I appreciate it. I sent you a picture this morning of my Morgan Freeman starter kit with my beard. <laughs> And uh, I saw that. Have you have you sent a have you spent a podcast comparing yourself to Morgan Freeman? No, I haven't yet. Um, if if this thing goes any longer, I'm, that, that picture is going to be Frederick Douglass. <laughs> so you know who that is, don't you, DJ? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you up on your African American history? Absolutely. I know PK is absolutely <laughs> big T. <laughs> Hey, you guys are awesome. Hey, do you want to pub your podcast real quick? Oh, yeah. Thorough Talk. Absolutely. Yeah, um, it's been fun. It's about uh, storytelling. It's about uh, just a conversation with people about their lives, and, and you know, hopefully other people can enjoy that conversation and learn from it. We had Jim Ron, um, Tony Fee now. We have Frank Layden. We've got uh, Dick Vitale next week. And uh, so it's just been fun for me to just have conversations with people and then pull out of those stories some some nice gems that people can learn from, some motivating, inspirational stuff. Uh, so, uh, you know, wherever people get their podcasts, they can uh, – I, I partner with KSL, and they can go on Apple or wherever they get their, their podcasts and check it out. There's a new episode every Tuesday. There'll be one coming out later today. And uh, then we'll have Dick Vitale on next week. You know, for people who came in at the end of this segment, did you know every segment in our show is available at 1280thezone.com, at Spotify, at where else, Yach? Stitcher? Apple Podcasts, Google Play, everywhere. Wow, you're competing with yourself, Thurl. <laughs> I'm winning. <laughs> there you go. You're always winning. All right. Hey, All right, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Anytime. Big T, join us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Everything you missed in today's show. And one thing that's come out during today's show, brand new. We haven't gotten to it yet. We'll share that with you next. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, the Zone, and the Zone Sports Network. But we weren't bad people. We were just basketball players winning. And that really stuck with me because they didn't know who we were or what we were about as individuals in our family life. So all that whining they did, one shake their hand. They were just whiners. They won, they won the series. Give them credit. We got old. They got past us, but okay, move on. Bill Lambeer, unrepentant, disgusted. 
Nothing's changed. Len Beer, he was a grinder back in the day. He's a grinder now. Move on. DJ and PK, it is uh, time to uh, wrap up everything we talked about in this show, get you all up to speed if you joined us a little late. Brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. Rex Chapman, former Kentucky basketball star, former NBA player, now master of the Twitterverse with funny videos and uh, all sorts of uh, funny stuff, tweeted out that the Jazz are as dirty as the Pistons. And most people just didn't understand that, didn't get it. What do you think about that? We've gotten a lot of feedback on that. Just heard from uh, Big T Thurl Bailey, who agrees with me that the Pistons embraced it, thrived on it, won championships with that style of play. As much as it gets put on the players, and they're the ones out there doing it, and I get that, I think really underappreciated and reported and all of this is the fact, how was the team constructed? You know, the the general manager, Jack McCluskey, he he brought in Lambert. Now, Lambert had some skill. He could he was one of the first big men to step out and shoot some three-pointers, certainly a lot of long twos, running the pick and roll, and turned it into the pick and pop. Long before Malone was doing that, he was still rolling to the hoop and dunking and crushing people. Uh, Lambert was doing that and opening up more space for Isaiah and D- Joe Dumars. So Lambert, for all the hard fouls he committed, and he committed a gazillion of them, uh, he could shoot it. But when you bring in Mahorn and Sally and Rodman and Lambert, that, that's, come on, <laughs> that's a roster constructed with a purpose. And it worked. They won two titles. They went to the NBA Finals three times in a row, and they went to the Conference Finals five times in a row, which is very difficult to do, and they did it. So it worked. It's the way the game was played then. They did embrace it. They thrived on it. People resented them because they won. There was a certain level of jealousy. Would the Jazz be looked at differently if they had won back-to-back titles? You know, how much does that spur on the jealousy? You take what someone else wants, that spurs rivalries. That's at the heart of all these college rivalries. You know, the fact that the Utes and Cougars that had stayed this intense for a decade without them fighting over conference championships, that says something. But it was built on the fact that they fought over conference championships. There were legendary games in football and in basketball for years, for decades. And that's usually what it comes down to. USC and UCLA, well, they fought over conference championships. You know, that, that's what spurs that stuff. USC and Notre Dame fought over national championships. Celtics and the Lakers fought over championships. You take away something somebody else wants, that's an issue. And then jealousy if somebody wins all the time, always an issue. So that was a big part of today's show. Uh, the NFL, some stuff's come out from the NFL during the show. I mentioned that. Uh, they're supposed to come out with the schedule on May 9th. But now there's a thought it may come out a little earlier than that. And there are also multiple reports. Yahoo's starting with it. Um, Sports Business Daily also has done some good reporting on this. That they are going to have multiple things built into the schedule. A level of flexibility that they haven't had before. The Super Bowl, which usually happens on the first Sunday in February, is slotted for there. It's going to be in Tampa Bay this year. Uh, Well, next year, but this season. Um, February 7th. But they are also allowing for a plan that could push it back to February 28th. They don't want to go later than that. 
Now, would they for a big pile of money? Well, you can answer that for yourself, but I think the answer is yes. But their immediate plans are they could delay the season until October 15. And they could do that by sliding the Super Bowl back three weeks. They are also building a schedule in that the teams that have buys on the same week are going to play each other week three. So they can move week one and two to the end of the season. And they could move week three, kind of dismantle into pieces, and plug in into bye weeks all over the schedule. They'll have that built in. Whoever you play, you know, and I don't, I don't know what it's going to be because they haven't announced the schedule yet. But you know, if the uh, uh, a game we'd all look forward to, if the Bucks are playing the Saints, right? Drew Brees, Tom Brady. If they're going to play week three, well, they're going to have the same bye week, so they could just move that game into wherever their bye week is. Now, so week three games might some might go to week six, some to week seven, some to week eight, but all the matchups will work. And also, they could blow the Pro Bowl out, and I think uh, we all are over that in about three seconds. Really, that's what it's going to take? Well, blow the Pro Bowl out then. So. The NFL planning for all kinds of contingencies. And it goes back to the quote we were sharing with you yesterday that, you know, there's going to be a push to get the economy going. That is what is happening is tragic for so many people. And there are going to be people defaulting and losing homes and businesses closing. And obviously jobs have already been lost and more jobs. We know all of that, right? So there's going to be a push to get the economy going. But what makes sense in one region or in one state won't necessarily make sense somewhere else. So there's still a lot of things the NFL's trying to figure out as far as are there places that they could move games? Will they not worry about everybody having eight home games and eight road games? Um, what if California says, you know, no football in the 2020 calendar year? There's no, no games. That They don't want gatherings of, you know, 200 people, which... You know, you're going to have, what, 53 players and the coaching staffs and the referees and the trainers and the equipment. You know, you'd be over 200 pretty quick. So do they move? Is there somewhere they can move all of those? Can they move them all to Vegas or to Arizona? And so they're trying to figure out all those plans behind the scenes. And we're seeing in some of the bigger states, even inside the state, you know, the Florida governor has one plan and the mayor of Miami is like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, so what works in Miami may not work in Tampa and the NFL's got to figure that out. And this is what we were telling yesterday about college football, that different conferences might play the season at different times because one thing may not work for the whole country. And then even inside conferences, is that going to work? I mean, the example I just used with Miami and Tampa and the NFL would apply to the Hurricanes and the Seminoles and college football. I mean, they're both in the ACC. Even if the ACC is doing their own thing separate from the Pac-12 or the Big Ten or whoever, even in the ACC, the same thing may not work. And I think it's just, you know, for, for the foreseeable future, for the coming season, maximum flexibility. If the NBA has to go to one location and do away with home court and advantage in the playoffs, then we all just shrug and nod and go, well, if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. If they've got to play without fans, that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. And it seems like playing without the fans is the first thing. That seems kind of like a given. At this point, I'm not expecting that. I'm not, I'm not expecting to see any fans in any games. If it happens, oh, well, that's great. But I'm not setting my level of expectation there. And so we just have to be ready for whatever. Any return to normalcy is better. You know, we have these partner profiles on, right? These different businesses come on and they talk about how they're altering and doing curbside or they're doing, well, yeah, I'd like to go in and sit down and eat like I did uh, six months ago, but if that can't happen, I'll take whatever the next best thing is. You know, any step back to normalcy, any step that employs a few more people is better than not. 
So just got to figure out what that looks like and what the new normal can look like. All right, other stuff we talked about today. Uh, the Houston Texans exercised their fifth-year option on Deshaun Watson. One year, $4.4 million, But they really need to get a deal done before the season because if he plays one year for $4.4 million, he might be really irritated and leave. So get a long-term deal done, so and they probably will. Just to clarify that, it's the 4.4 is actually his fourth year this year. Mm-hmm. So the fifth year actually – He'll get a little more than that. Bumps to 17 is the fifth-year option. Do you think he'll still be no. – <laughs> No. But have you don't a, think he will be? I think he will be. You think? I think the guys who play without the long-term extension and the guaranteed well, he, money. He wants are, that extension. <laughs> but so if he plays under four four this year, he'll be mad. But if he plays under seventeen next, next year on a one-year deal, he'll be mad. I I just think they need to get it done now. It'll be done in the relatively near future, I'd guess. I would guess so too. But twenty-one million over two years, while that's still an unbelievable pile yeah. of cash in the real world compared to some of his peers are making right now. Yeah, right. he's gonna. Although you know, if they stop selling tickets and you know people can't go to games for the year you know what does that do to revenue i mean it, the tv money's massive you know but the merchandising money the, the game day experience it's still a pretty good chunk of change so all of this to be figured out everybody's trying to figure it out on the fly all right dj and pk oh the nba news uh may 8th now there was talk that the gyms could open uh, the practice facilities the training facilities for the nba clubs could open may 1st because they don't want players flying all over the country to find a pickup game in whatever state it's okay for them to do that in there's now been kicked back to may 8th and they will have to figure it out on the if that's really going to stick or if they're going to bounce it back again But uh, May 8th now, before anything opens up, according to the NBA. DJ and PK, your feedback's next. Stay with us. The Jazz were not dirty like the Pistons were dirty. The Jazz were tough-nosed grinders. And if a game called for an elbow or a chip shot or a slam, then that's what they delivered. They didn't wear like a disgusting badge like the sickening Pistons did. Dwight getting all wound up. There's the feedback of the day brought to you. Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. Got more feedback coming in. Aaron tweets at us, my thoughts on Rex Chapman comments. Who cares? I don't spend a lot of time worried about what ex-mediocre players think about great teams they were not a part of. But then we got people tweeting at us, Carl Malone elbows Isaiah Thomas, 40-stitch lesson. Vicious sledgehammer elbow by Carl Malone. So I need someone, and is it just luck? I need someone with more medical background than me. There are lots of people who throw lots of elbows. Why does one elbow open a cut that requires 40 stitches, and another one leaves a bruise, leaves a welt, hurts like crazy, but doesn't tear the skin apart and require 40 stitches. The stories say that the 40 stitches was overblown, that it may have been like 10. Okay, but what causes but something you, to open up for 10 or 15 way, stitches? The way I understand it is it's just a matter of where you get hit. It's just there's, angle a, there's a bone that no one can really control it, in the moment. Everything happens too fast. What you imagine? I think it's just a matter of like, hey, do you have some, is it the bone sitting on a certain angle there where it's going to break the skin? It's, it's a scary situation all the way around, regardless. If you're going to throw an elbow and somebody's going to be bleeding all over the place, you don't want that happening. Brendan says it doesn't really matter. Every great team had their things they would do to get an advantage. The Jazz embodied Sloan's personality as the underdog and always had some fight in them. That's one reason I loved watching them. Coach Moss says that era of the NBA was full of elbows and forearm shivers. Church ball at its finest. <laughs> Yuck. He started laughing. 
Yuck. Hey, when, you taken, were, when you taken, were six, yeah. did you get dragged to church ball games? Uh, not when I was six, but I've played in plenty of church ball games, and I have taken my fair share of elbows and forearm shivers. I'd, From ex-high school football players who can't play basketball but need to compete somewhere? So they just um, go in there and start beating people up? You just described me. Yeah, so. I, I know. <laughs> I'm just that saying. wasn't an accident. I know, but no, it, there there is some very rough and tumble moments in church ball. Let's just put it that way. All right, DJ and PK, that's uh, a lot of what's going on. There was one tweet I just saw while I was hitting Twitter here uh, looking at this stuff. Um, and it comes, uh, CNBC put this out. Business news. What's going on in the world? And they put this out that uh, Belgians are being called upon to eat fries at least twice a week as more than 750,000 tons of potatoes are at risk of being thrown away. Don't throw them away. Send them to food banks and food pantries. It's the, the Utah Food Bank, did you see the thing in the news about the, uh, it was on social media, they had the giveaway in the parking lot at the Grizzlies Arena, the Maverick Center in West Valley, all kinds of people lining up. Potatoes are good for you. They fill you up. Had a baked potato for dinner last week. Baked potatoes. Very simple. Good eating. Yak, you go fries though, don't you? You deep fry them. That's not uh, so healthy for you. I've actually cut back on my fry consumption. You know, I've you had this cut conversation. back. I'm going to step in for PK here and channel PK. You've cut back. But Mrs. Hatch, she's actually not a big fan of potatoes in general. Why not? I love baked potatoes. Oh yeah, they're the best. Baked potatoes. So now you don't throw like sour cream and chives on them, do you? Not really. Okay, good. I'm more of just like a butter, and that's about it for me. Eh, depending on how much. I, butter's not low cal, but some, I get your point. Some salt and some butter usually call it good. Yeah, I know it's not the healthiest, but it's still it's still good. You put the uh, you put the uh, olive oil on the outside before yes. you bake them, mm-hmm. and then pepper them. And then eat the skin and the whole thing. Yeah. I used to just eat the inside. My grandfather, my dad's dad, I don't eat the skin. It's Ma- the best part. Ma- Mama Hatch. I'm like, what? The skin's the best part for you. Eat it. I started eating the skin. I was like, oh, he's right. It's awesome. Clean play club. All right, DJ and PK. We are out of time. Scouting hands are coming up next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.